a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. This is it. This is the week. This is Advanced Medicine Seminar Week in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm hearing from a lot of you folks out there getting ready to head to Charlotte for the event, the 19th and 20th, Friday, Saturday, for all you healthcare providers in the 20th. You will get to see Dr. Batar and Ty Bollinger and me. And oh my gosh, Dr. Batar, you're here. I am. The doctor is in. Hey, uh, everything's good for this thing. This is going to be the biggest one yet. Yeah, actually, we're still having people register, and it's already going to be bigger than, I think, three or four times bigger than Chicago. So it's it's pretty big. It's going to be pretty big. Very exciting, very exciting. And, of course, the news is out there supporting what you have been saying for years, what you've written about in the nine steps to keep the doctor away, that toxic pollution matters. It really does. Check out this article here, and I covered it briefly yesterday, Dr. Batar. More than 2 million people die yearly from human-caused pollution. Human-caused pollution. They're not talking viruses now. They're talking toxins. Well, you know, it's uh, your moment of death for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But it, but it isn't for a lot of the medical community still, and certainly for the media, who always wants to point out some form of pathogen that is the cause of death in these cases. And what's stunning about this article published in Environmental Research uh, Letters is that they're actually acknowledging pollution as a, as a real cause of 2 million deaths a year. But where is, like, the the Manhattan Project about pollution. It's not there. It's all about, well, we got we to gotta vaccinate everybody. Was there going to be a, a pollution vaccine next? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the interesting thing about this particular article was that it was the, one of the co-authors was from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is right down the street from me. Yes. Um, I'm, of course, saying that figuratively. It's about an hour and a half, two hours away. But the point is that th- there is more awareness coming to fruition now. I think that if the general public remembers that the Centers for Disease Control serves two functions, and when they have a outbreak of some type of a disease process that kills you know, 100 people, 200 people, 500 people, whatever it happens, they always send out two teams. We've talked about this previously, I think, on one of our first shows, probably about 100 weeks ago or so, Robert. But <laughs> yes. If you remember, the point was that there's always two teams that the Centers for Disease Control sends out. One is, of course, the infectious disease team, which everybody recognizes. When you think about the CDCs, we always think about Ebola breakouts and those the movies like Outbreak and all these really... Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's always always the uh, the virus that's going to get you. That's the mystery. And, of course, the, the doctors and white lab coats, the CDC scientists and white lab coats come and they find the vaccine or the drug that kills it. Other than usually, a, usually in those body protection suits, in the in the yeah, space exactly suits. in the yeah. spacesuits. Other than if you're Steven Seagal, then you actually go to the flowers and show that the plants yeah. have the medicine. <laughs> right, exactly. But that's the one team that everybody recognizes. Everybody knows that it's the infectious disease team. But the other side of the coin shows, which nobody really recognizes, but this is the truth: is the other team that they send out is a toxicological team. In fact. It was the CDC toxicological team that really pushed for getting lead out of gasoline back in the 60s and 70s when everybody said that was ludicrous, and they finally succeeded. And if they had not, the amount of lead within 
the air that we breathe would be so astronomically high. It's still high, mind you. Yes. But comparatively speaking, it would have been so much higher. And there were so many other pathologies that were related to this, as we know how heavy metals affect cardiovascular health, uh, affect the cancerous process, affect things such as diabetes and asthma and many other conditions too numerous to mention here. The point is that that second team, the one that deals with the toxicological components, is never in the limelight, never gets any attention, nobody ever talks about. Yeah, you know, they, they don't get the chicks in the, in the smoking hot cars and things like that. They, that's they, right. They don't that's get right. all they're the attention. They're, they're the stepchild. They're yeah. the stepchild on the other side. But this is interesting that these articles are coming out because, again, think about what happened with the smoking. You remember the multi-million or multi-billion dollar lawsuits on smoking that was all because of when the cigarette publicity went sour. Right, yes. They had all the good good publicity. They had all the PR. They even had doctors promoting it many decades right. ago. Yeah, exactly. You know, a cigarette a day keeps a doctor away. But the CDC, there was a component within the CDC that actually had to deal with the cigarette aspect. And, and I know some of the people there. We've had discussions. I've met with some of the people in the, CD, in the CDC uh, multiple times now. Yes. And it's like a political, what do you call it? Bizarre. It's like a political bazaar. You have to make deals with these people. And then, of course, you know, I've been not, not the majority of the CDC, we know their mindset, but they are people in the CDC that truly want to help and, and understand the truth. They're not uh, fooled into and, and uh, distracted into these other issues. They understand what the real issues are, like the lead inside of the the uh, gasoline that we put into our cars every day or such as the cigarette smoking and some of the toxins from the cigarette smoking which mainstream even now recognizes yes. but when the political aspect is put aside you know the underlying problem with our entire political system is this bizarre type scenario where you're sitting there in a Mexican bazaar negotiating okay I'll give you this if you give me that and right. you're not dealing with money and a blanket now you're dealing with reform and you're dealing with uh, favoritism, you're dealing with lobbying, allowing certain things to go through, just like the Monsanto thing, for example. You yes. know, why does Monsanto have so much power? Well, because they've got the right people in their pocket. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, there's a, there's a story out of a German newspaper I just saw yesterday that is uh, claiming that Monsanto is actually using the U.S. military to target and, and I don't mean I don't know if they're droning people. I'm not saying that, but they're investigating now that the there is no you can't tell where Monsanto ends and the U the, the U.S. military begins. It's a bizarre story, but they're utilizing this against their enemies, whether they be scientists who are questioning it or activists. Yeah, it's it's just gotten so strange because you can't see it. when you're dealing with a war. Or you're dealing with an enemy, you're expected to know where the line of demarcation is. What, you know, everything on the other side is the enemy, uh, everything on this side is friendly. But here, right now, in our own country, we don't even know who the enemy is. In fact, our enemy could be sitting right there listening to our own lectures or, as we know, listening to us on the radio or whatever it is and appearing like a friend. You know, the FDA, the medical boards, the regulatory bodies, they're, they're no longer – really looking out for the best benefit of the publics, of the, of the citizens, which is supposedly their mandate to ensure the safety of the public. We already know that the CDC with the vaccine issue, you know, they fell asleep at the wheel. They didn't mm-hmm. take care of the people. People have gotten injured because of vaccines, and the CDC was responsible for that. So we know that over the last 15, 20 years, the thought process, oh, the government will take care of us, oh, 
the doctor will be the one that will give us the right information. Oh, the people that are appointed to safeguard our futures and safeguard our children will do what they're supposed to do to now, 20 years later, nobody believes that. Nobody believes the government's looking out for their best interest. Nobody believes that the uh, doctors are looking out for the best interest. In fact, most people don't trust their doctors. They don't trust their government. They don't trust their politicians. They don't trust their banks. They don't trust their investors. They don't trust anybody anymore, and, and rightly so. Yeah, well, that's the wake up, you know, the naivete of believing that there are those entities in government that are there to look out for you. And we know and we acknowledge, like you said, the toxicological side of the CDC, real good science there going on, but politics is preventing them. And also, let's look at the issue of liability. When you have a virus, a bacteria or a fungus, it's neither Democrat nor Republican. It's not it's not Monsanto. It's not that, you know, the, the, the corporate world is also protected as long as you can blame it. But when Very we realize the law of the terrain gives rise, in other words, if you pollute the terrain, then you give rise to pathogenic life forms that we call disease causing organisms. Now you really have the source, and that is why the toxicologists are getting in second fiddle, because they would bring out the reality of who is polluting. And at that point, the liability is untenable for these companies like Monsanto that is polluting the world with their GMOs and more. Excellent point, Robert. Excellent point. Because the scapegoat, it's a lot easier to use the virus as a scapegoat than it is to use a toxin that somebody was responsible for introducing into the general population. Exactly. And, that, and, that, and when people wake up to see that, you'll realize that the government is not protecting the people anymore, but it's protecting the industry that in many cases they've been assigned to regulate. But that is why Monsanto has purchased so much influence, because the irony is that, well, if we say we need some level of regulation, and that could be an arguable point, how strong do you make it? The stronger you make it, the more desirable it is to purchase, because in that way you can gain monopoly status and protection status like a mafia scenario. Rather than being regulated by the government, you own the regulators. That's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what's happened with Monsanto. And that's a lot of what happens with the congressional system that we have set up. I, I didn't even realize that 30 years ago, I don't remember exactly how long ago, it was illegal to advertise a drug on TV. And then Congress passed a bill allowing pharmaceutical companies to start advertising. And from what I understand, other countries don't allow drug companies to No, they to don't. Advertise. No, direct-to-consumer, they call it DTC advertising. Now, I'm a First Amendment guy. I believe in the right of free speech. But these these ads are so deceptive even though they read all the things that it'll do or at least some of the things it'll do in nasty ways but it's really been successful now it's been a boon to the media because of the money flowing into their coffers via advertising and those those that group the media absolutely lobbies heavily as well so you see how these games are played all about how can we get money flow in our direction instead of another direction well it's not just the media though think about all the components uh, that, that feed this machine. So you've got mm -hmm. hospitals, mm -hmm. you've got all the employees of the hospitals, not just the doctors and the nurses, but the hospital administrators, the ancillary staff, and you know the, the emergency staff, the house cleaning staff, the if you want to call them chefs, I'm not sure <laughs> what you call them. You know, whatever the whoever makes the food, then you've got all the the dietitians, social, and the stuff, dietitians, yeah. the social work, all these other components. And so it's a massive, massive machine. So the more drugs people are put on, the more need for hospitalization, the more – and of course some people say, well, that's not fair to say because, you know, hospitals – there's no correlation between hospitalization and increase in drug usage. But 
I would say that yeah, the more drugs people use, the more side effects you're going to have, the more need there will be for a hospital. And I can look at my own clinic and see how many people come to me on drugs and we get them off drugs and they don't need hospitalization. Very rarely do I have to send a patient into the hospital. And if I do, it's usually because of a side effect from the chemo that they've already had. Right, and, right. And as we're cleaning them, they're getting a recurrence of that mobilization of that chemo, whatever the case may be. Ke- chemo so, is, is really concentrated pollution, is it not? Absolutely. And it gets stored inside the liver. And when you start to detoxify the body, you actually have the same reoccurrence. They have the same side effects that they had when they were actually going through the chemo Mm. as it starts to be released from the system. Incredible, incredible. Well, listen, pollution is something we cover here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. It's something that is pulled out of your body when you see Dr. Batar, and you can see him and Ty Bollinger and me at the next Advanced Medicine Seminar. This Friday and Saturday in Charlotte, North Carolina, we've got the links up in the show notes. I did an email blast last night. I hope you picked up on that. If you haven't, sign up for free email alerts at robertscottbell.com. We're going to talk about more pollution issues as it relates to your physiological health, and they're really a stunning new study. I do Moments of Dove from the government. This one is kind of, it's not so much a Moment of Dove, but it might be for Dr. Batar as he'll relate why this may be happening. It relates to burst appendices or appendix. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Batar right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show after the break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Advanced Medicine Monday continues, and I hope to see you all in Charlotte. And, of course, uh, the big event, Cancun's coming up afterwards there. I've got the links up to that. We'll talk about it. Uh, but talking toxic pollutants, Dr. Batar, this was healthfinder.gov. The other was a moment of, uh, this one's not as obvious to people. Smoggy days may raise your odds for burst appendix. And appendicitis burst related to smog. Now, I'm not totally surprised by this because we know the impact of pollution and toxins on the body. But it's interesting how it even impacts in a measurable way an acute infectious scenario. Yeah, I think that this is an interesting study in that, as you said, there is a concentration perhaps in the acute setting that's causing the appendix is an organ. And I'll let you explain this, Robert, because this Mm -hmm. is something you taught me. I didn't really realize this uh, from a historical perspective about the appendix. But if the appendix is a residual a remnant that is actually this is what we believe in conventional medicine that's a remnant but if it actually <laughs> yes. is something i'm sorry yeah no, i'm just I'm, i just laugh when you say that because it, you know the the belief systems of modern medicine like the religion of old right well we believe it's just a remnant god goof we don't know why it's there just kind of hanging out there let's take it out yeah exactly when in doubt cut it out <laughs> a scenario um but if we think about it the way that the appendix is positioned mm-hmm. you know and this is something really interesting that the appendix is at the beginning of the ascending colon so it's where the small intestine and the large intestine actually join and for people that may not know uh, you've heard about the appendix but don't know really what the appendix is it's this little part of the small bowel but large it's actually part of the large bowel it's actually part of the colon itself and but it's a thin little portion that extends out from the large bowel as a small bowel joins it and kind of hangs there on the lower right side. So as soon as everything transitions, of the food that you've consumed has now transitioned from the small bowel, from the small intestine into the large intestine. As it comes into the large intestine, there's this little thin uh, finger-like projection that hangs off that ascending colon. Mm-hmm. 
And it's always been thought of to be a remnant. It's like a deflated However, balloon. What happened to that? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, that's a good analogy, actually. It looks, if you take a balloon, one of those long balloons that the clowns make into little figures and such, yep. if, if they leave that little bit of air at the end and it leaves that balloon uninflated at the end, so it's like two, three inches, that's basically what the appendix looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens when the appendix gets inflamed? Why does it get inflamed? Because they say, well, it's got remnants of food particles that have caught in there, and so it gets inflamed because it can't empty out. It's a remnant. It's not functional, so let's take it out. And this is what I've always believed as well. You know, I've trained in general surgery, so this is, in my mindset, this is exactly what I've been taught and makes sense. However, you pointed out something that was really interesting, and that is, think of it, if you had, think of um, um, plumbing underneath mm-hmm. a sink, there's always that, what's it called, a J hook? Yeah, the J, the J hook, that's right. Yeah, there's right. a reason for that. Right, it's so, to let sediment and such, things that shouldn't really necessarily go through, be able to filter out. And maybe that appendix is a place that's supposed to collect certain things out of the body. Now, why would we want to collect certain things out? Well, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of direction we can take when we start thinking in that way. Sure, but, it, but certain things. But if we believe, Doctor Batari, that life begets life, that our body is designed to help us sustain life as opposed to kill us, we would think that what would be a positive function as opposed to the negative function that medical science looks at is like, oh, it's only there a disaster waiting to happen. Would we not say that there might be a design there to pick something up that could be a benefit later? Well, exactly. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that, for example, the body doesn't want to have lead in it, but it doesn't necessarily always excrete the lead. It will store it into a deeper recess, bone, for example, or mercury that has a propensity for fat and, and, and um, mm-hmm. brain, for example, or right. the myocardium, the fat that surrounds the myocardium, the pericardium, or cadmium that has a propensity for lung parenchyma. The point is, sometimes the body, in order to try to protect itself, will try to push that stuff out of circulation, and if it can't excrete it, it'd right. rather push it into deeper into some tissue. Now, for whatever reasons, whether it's a, a better or worsening issue, it's the body trying to protect itself. It's almost like saying that... Well, it's a, it's a defense mechanism. I mean, the thing is, if we believe that, in an in intelligent life, you know, and our cells are smarter than us and smarter than most doctors, they got to be working for survival and have strategies for survival all the time. The question exactly. is, are we, can we be smart enough to figure it out? That's exactly right, Robert. So if you're driving down the road at a high rate of speed and all of a sudden the road ends... You know, we think that turning right is always the right answer. Well, maybe the body's thinking turning left. For whatever reason, it's mm-hmm. going to turn left. Maybe we don't understand it, but it is a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. And that's what we can't question. We have to allow the innate intelligence of the body to take over. And so this issue with the appendix was very interesting when you first brought it up to me. And I had never thought of it from that perspective. But now this study with mm-hmm. the smoggy days may raise your odds of burst appendix. It makes sense because there may be an acute issue because you have to remember that smog has a higher concentration of pollution. So maybe if you're ingesting more pollutions, maybe that mm-hmm. appendix is acting like that J-tube in a plumbing situation and it's trying to concentrate that stuff out and hold it in there. And we do know that there's a lot of lymphoid tissue, by the way, within the appendix. And there's a lot of lymph drainage in that. Fascinating. Anyway. That, that, you know, that is making so much sense. Now, I remember we were on there talking about this and I made fun of the fact that it took medical science all this time to figure out that there might be a reason to have an appendix as opposed to being, oh, God goofed. And the Duke University study had said that it was a storehouse for microflora, 
You know, like think about being in the wild before all the technology and having probiotic supplements, which we also like and utilize, uh, that you'd have to have a way. Let's say you were you had a food poisoning and you were out in the wild. How do you restore, replenish that? And nature provided a way. that. And you said right there at the ascending colon, right there between the large intestine and small intestine, that there would be a way to replenish from an internal milieu perspective. However, as you said also, the opposite is true, that if the body needs it, it could be utilized as a little dumping ground to get it out of some areas. And if there's lymphoid tissue connected to it, if the lymph is not static, which it is in most Americans, unfortunately, there'd be another escape mechanism available to it. Exactly. And here, this is a really excellent point because the more stagnant the lymphatic system is, the more chances that a person is going to have a serious pathological condition. In fact, I've said this over and over that if I was only given one option, if I only had one tool in my arsenal to deal with patients suffering from cancer, it would be to stimulate the lymphatic system and allow for better, more effective lymphatic drainage. And that stagnation of the lymphatics is really one of the most significant reasons for people getting cancer. In fact, we've tested patients whenever they come in, when we start treatment for them to stimulate the immune system and do all the things that we do, especially when they have cancer, Mm -hmm. they have a stagnant, almost a non-existent, non-functioning lymphatic system. See, you you have strengthened my argument, Dr. Batar. Thank you very much because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, was it last week? I was feeling not not so, no, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't, I was, the energy wasn't flowing as well. I realized, listen, I'm researching, I'm doing this broadcasting. A lot of my life is sedentary and sitting down. And of course, I love to work out and I'd fallen out of that habit and and, and, in a consistent basis. And so when I, I went out in a concerted effort, especially to move the lymph and man, did I, I won't say I overdid it, but I did it and my body just started dumping and I felt rotten. I felt awful. And of course, most folks would say, well, you caught something. And I said, no, 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 I am eliminating something. And this is the process of misery I have got to go through because I was being stagnant. And, and so that movement is so critical to life itself. Life, in fact, is movement. So thank you for reinforcing that. Yeah. In fact, you know, it's one of the most important components of life. And you've heard our great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers talk about there's an old adage, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And that is such a true statement. And I've had the same issue, Robert. I mean, mm-hmm. I try to get my workout. In fact, my, my workouts have steadily gotten shorter and shorter, but become more and more intense. And mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. intensity, I believe, has a lot to do with it. Yes. But at the advanced medicine seminars, which people, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but there's going to be something that we're going to all experience, the people that are in attendance at the advanced medicine seminar in Cancun, where we're going to be doing something every morning that will allow a person to experience a difference. And maybe in the beginning, they're not going to feel so good. But by the end of that week, I believe that everybody will have experienced firsthand the difference of what I'm talking about. And I'm going to start not talking about a, an exercise program. I'm talking about the biggest reason people don't exercise is because of time. And of course, that's a ludicrous excuse. And I've used it myself, but it still is a ludicrous excuse because the it's like saying, well, I don't have enough time to work out. Well, then you don't have time to live because if you don't work out, you're not going to have enough time to get all the things that you're supposed to get accomplished Correct. in your yes. lifetime because you're going to have a shorter life. So that's not a sound excuse to say you don't have enough time. But I'm going to try to even deal with that issue by mm-hmm. showing people how quickly they can get a, not only an effective workout but a workout that's going to do what they need uh, from a health perspective for their body and then add a couple components. Sometimes people think, oh my God, you know, if it's going to be more intense, it's going to be hurt more. Well, yes, there are certain components that will hurt more, but there are other components that you can do that are relatively easy to do, but the effect is amazing. And I'll just 
give one hint, and that is that it's all to do with the diaphragm. This particular component that I'm talking about is to do with the diaphragm. And when I have done it on a regular basis, yes, everything, my mind, my body, mm-hmm. everything, emotional, psychological, spiritual, everything is balanced. When I don't do it regularly, there tend to be more erratic times. Do you think so, uh, we'll, we'll be able to get people a sneak preview in Charlotte this week? Yeah, actually, you know, bring that up. Because all right. The martial arts mm-hmm. talk about this constantly. In fact, I'll just say it right now. In martial arts, what is the key in martial arts? The key in martial arts, whenever, Robert, can you guess the, what that the, is? Well, the, one word. The chi. It's energy. That's yeah. true, chi. But if you talk to somebody who's actually doing martial arts, they will say the power is in your breath. Breath. Yeah. And that's the chi energy, the prana, the life force is coming in and out through that mechanism. So... Interesting that we also tied it into pollution because we talk about the inhalation of these pollutants impacting things like the appendix even. So how much impact is that if that which is coming in is not pure and clean? And, and, and Robert, this is a very good point, and I'm glad you brought this full circle back because when you're talking about the life energy and I'm talking about breath and I'm talking about you know moving the diaphragm, well, when you're moving the diaphragm, you are stimulating the entire lymphatic cascade. Everything's pumping up and pumping down. It's like a it's take a big pulsatile balloon and you're compressing it and you're expanding it and you're compressing it and expanding it. When the diaphragm goes down, you're actually increasing your surface area and the entire volume within the chest cavity. The diaphragm goes down, everything sucks in, the chest expands, the air mm-hmm. comes in, the diaphragm then comes back up, it pushes all the air out, that's the exhalation, and that's where you, as you start moving that diaphragm up and down, you're not just getting the breath in and out, but you're also moving the lymphatics. And if you do it right, and you add a little bit of motion to it, you will start to experience certain components. Wait, I wait, had, I, 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 now I, you're getting a little adult on us. Are you going where I think you're going? Well, I, I'll tell you... The, <laughs> I don't know. Where, where do you think I'm going? <laughs> oh, no, never mind. I didn't say anything. It's just me and my brain. Sorry. Okay. Well, the, okay, now I understand where you thought I was going. No, I'm not going there. <laughs> the, point is, the point is, though, that I have experienced certain things where my hands and mm-hmm. my feet mm-hmm. will start to sweat. Yes. And all I'm doing is breathing. Right. I'm not doing anything else. So why would your hands and your feet start to sweat? And you will start seeing the hands and feet actually uh, begin to become cooler but still sweating well cooler that doesn't make any sense because you sweat when you're warm so why would your hands and feet become cooler and yet be sweating i didn't quite understand this until oh well well, we got to take a break cliffhanger moment we're going to get to that the answer to that as well as entice you to come to the advanced medicine seminar this uh, friday and saturday all healthcare providers friday and saturday 19th and 20th and the 20th for everybody coming together ty bollinger will be there as well we'll look forward to seeing you But in the meantime, say thanks to those who support this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty right now on Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Batar right here on The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio, it's The Robert Scott Bell Show. Where else are you going to get a discussion of hands and feet sweating but getting cooler at the same time and still sweating more? Wait a second. You're supposed to sweat when you're hot, not when you're cool. What's going on, Dr. Batar? Well, actually, it's just the extremity portion. Your body does get warmer, but your hands and feet are getting colder and or cooler, I should say, not colder. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to one of the people that I had met, they're very into the 
meditation and the yoga aspect, the the stretching and into the uh, Far East philosophies. Right. And one of these exercises that I was doing, this lady had told me about and shown me. And then a year later, I meet her again. She was from Chicago. And I was explaining this to her. Now, of course, I'm doing a couple of different things. But this one particular exercise uh, was more of a stretching exercise. But I happened to mention to her, this is kind of a strange thing that I've experienced, that when I get to a certain point, my hands and feet start becoming cold or cooler. And, and yet they're sweating. And she had this huge smile on her face. And, and I said, what? And she said, you, you're actually achieving the higher state. Because when you start to achieve the higher state, the blood will begin to be shunted to your core and so, as you know, just like when you're outside and it's cold, the ears, the, the fingers, tips, mm-hmm. the toes will start getting cooler because the blood is trying to preserve body heat and right. gets shunted to the core. Well, she's saying that the same thing is happening when you start to achieve a higher state. And the reason it's getting – the reason it's sweating is apparently something to do with the achievement of that higher state. And she went through a very elaborate explanation, which I didn't quite understand, but at the time when she explained it to me uh, – energetically it felt right if that makes sense yes. it didn't necessarily m- make sense to me because i'm trying to understand it physiologically but it felt right that, does that make sense yes yeah absolutely no it was I, an innate it, intelligence to what she was right. saying and it's not just once or twice i've experienced this as long as i'm doing it consistently you know by about the hundredth ex- uh, repetition of the exercise i'll start feeling it and and you can feel it pretty extensively one of the people that i had the honor to work with in martial arts who was dr Pack, Dr. Pack was the president of the World Taekwondo Federation, which is the actual uh, competition, the Olympic competition version of Taekwondo. And uh, he was a patient that was sent to me by his daughter, who is a fifth degree black belt. And Dr. Pack was a ninth degree grandmaster in Shaolin style Kung Fu, in Qigong, in Tai Chi, and in Taekwondo. And Dr. Pack had had a pontine stroke and had been bedridden for five or six years. And we were able to get him out of bed and be able to walk within about 48 hours of treatment, actually stand within about 48 hours and 72 hours he was walking. And within two weeks, he was able to kick again. And actually, his video is on Medical Rewind. But Dr. Pack had shown me a couple of these exercises as well. And uh, I've kind of combined what I've learned from a couple of these different people that I've met in my life and had the privilege of being able to you know, work with them one-on-one. And Dr. Pack used to do this exercise, and Robert, this is no exaggeration, he would stand there mm-hmm. and he would move his body from side to side and there was a certain hand motion. And I started doing this as he showed me. And he, he would say that you know, if you went, at a certain point, you're going to start feeling the energy ball. He called it an energy ball. Mm-hmm. And it'll pulsatile in your, it'll be pulsatile. You can actually feel it pulsing within your hands, open hands. You don't have your hands clasped. So I was doing this with him, and I did this with him for a couple of days, and I couldn't feel anything, you know. And he's showing me the the way to do this, and he's talking about how, you know, you cannot feel it, this and that. And at first, I never said anything. And finally, like in the fourth or fifth day, I told him, I said, I, I don't feel anything. And he turned around, and he looked at me with this look like, what? You don't feel it? And he comes up to me, and he puts his hands on the outside of my hands. Yes. Okay, not, I mean, just puts them on the outside, like to just like a father would put his hands on a child's hands, you know, on the outside to help guide him. Right. And he goes, what, you don't feel this? And he starts going back and forth. And in like 15 seconds, I start feeling something inside my hands, between my hands. And my hands are like about six inches apart now, okay? Yeah. So there's nothing there. I can look at it and see there's nothing there. And yet I can feel this beating. It's almost like a pulsata, not like a heartbeat, but something that's expanding and contracting and expanding and contracting. And he's looking at me in my face and going, you don't feel that? And I'm like, yeah, I do feel that. What is that? And he goes, that's the energy ball. And yes. as, uh, the more I did it, 
the more I started to experience it. Now, it's not something that happens to everybody. And I did not feel it till he put his hands around mine. Mm-hmm. But the point is he could generate that force. And I don't know whether people have seen the videos of a Qigong master standing back or, or, a, or a Kung Fu master standing back 5, 10, 15 feet from a person and, and hitting them with, a, with one of these energy balls. And you see the force. I mean, yeah. this has been captured on video. Have you seen any of that stuff? Yeah, it, it really is extraordinary. And, and maybe for, the, for our listeners, uh, Dr. Batar, if you've ever worked with someone or maybe you do a little bit of Reiki energy type healing, you can feel the temperature differential. I mean, it's not somebody that's rubbing their hands together to create friction and heat the skin. I, I know it's palpable. It's very measurable. And, and so you don't have to go to the far east or far flung regions of the Himalayas to experience this for yourself. What Dr. Batar is saying is something that you can do. For yourself, but yeah, this energy is very real. But that is the truth of the matter. It gets somewhat esoteric for some folks, but we are energetic beings that have physical bodies, and they often try to convince us we're just shells that you know maybe have spirits somewhere someday in the future to keep us kind of as a chicken instead of an eagle. Yeah, Robert, you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, we talked about a patient of mine that had I hadn't seen in seven eight years, and there was a recurrence of cancer. And another doctor referred her back to me, and. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that when I talked about her husband and we talked to her about the key word? What was the key word? Why can other people some why can some people do this? What you're talking about and other people can't. Right. And I talked to the husband and I asked him. It was about it was about this ability to have the healing touch. And anybody who attends in Charlotte will actually meet one of my nurses who experienced this with me when we were in Mexico at one of my mentors' clinics. And when what she personally experienced, she was in a lot of pain. And I just put my hand on her knee and took her pain away. She was crying. She was in so much pain. Right. And she said, why is your hand so hot, Dr. Batar? And I moved my hand and I you know, let one of my other nurses feel it. And my hand wasn't hot at all. Her knee wasn't hot, but yet she felt that heat and she had release of pain. And so that type of scenario, what I'm talking sure. about, we'll, you, people can actually talk to people that have experienced it. But my question to that patient was, why do you think some people can do it and some people can't? And do you remember what his answer was, Robert? Uh, uh, was it about belief? I don't recall. That's exactly yeah, what yeah. it was. He, his answer was because I think they think they can. And I said, that's exactly right because everybody has the ability to do it. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. It's whether you believe you can do it or not that makes the difference. If you don't believe you can, there's no way you can. Yeah, remember part of my upbringing, of course, I was raised pharmaceutically. I've told the story many times. Uh, but my aunt, who was in a, a traffic accident, nearly died, lost vision in one eye, came out and suddenly discovered she had this ability to lay hands, uh, what they call it faith healing over there in England where she does this. And she's been one of those key people over the years. And she's still my mom's visitor right now that has done that. She did this for me when I had tendinitis by my knees as a child. And the doctors, the orthopedists were going to go for surgery. And we'd had a two-week session when she was visiting over the holidays. And I went back to the doctor in January and they said, what have you done? Because it's all better. And I didn't know except to say, it was warm. I could feel things like that. And I could actually feel tissue moving, even though she wasn't manipulating anything physically, tightening up. Uh, car- I mean, I, I, I remember it to this day. It's as, as real as I'm just pinching my arm right now, the, the sensation that I had and the healing that occurred. So there's so much more to healing than meets the eye. That's a understatement, Robert. It's, <laughs> there's so much more. You're absolutely right. And whenever... Star Trek is one of my favorite shows. Whenever I see how Star Trek starts and says the last frontier, mm-hmm. I've always thought, no, it's actually within us that's the last frontier. Yes, the final frontier is within. 
Yeah. And of course, a lot of these, see the kind of excitement that Dr. Batar and I have, I mean, when we get together on the air and do this every week, this is the kind of, if you want to use the term magic, I don't think that appropriately describes it, but you kind of get the sense of it. When we're together at the advanced medicine seminars, this is the palpable energy that flows through this. That's why I'm saying, if you can find a way to get there, whether it's close to you or far from you, you will be richly rewarded with an experience that will change you for the better for your life. This is what has happened in previous ones, and I anticipate this will also be happening this Friday and Saturday as well. I think it's gotten better each time too, Robert, and everybody knows this isn't being rehearsed because if it was, then <laughs> me being a big fan of Star Trek and, in fact, even the trailer that Don did with me, I'm not a doctor, I wouldn't have screwed that up and said last frontier when it's the final frontier. I, yeah, I wasn't going to call you out on it because well, that means I, I, I would have been a bigger nerd than you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a break here. We've got some healing to do. I've got a question about serotonin and depression coming in from a listener. Uh, We might do a little bit more political healing as well, but stand by. You never know where it's going to go, but you know it's going to be good because it's Advanced Medicine Monday right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Batar. Stick around. We'll be right back. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Robert Scott Bell Show. I know, I know. You can't wait to be with us in Charlotte, North Carolina, Friday and Saturday. But come on down. We'll be there shortly. And check it out, Advanced Medicine Mondays. The links are up for all of the upcoming events, including the retreat in Cancun, August 3rd through 10th. So check it out. Sign up now while you have an opportunity to do so. And Dr. Batar, uh, we cover a lot of intense medical, highfalutin, eggheady type stuff, but it's always brought down to a, a very understandable by anybody perspective. In fact, that's why I think you enjoy the the Saturday event at the Advanced Medicine Center where the lay audience gets together with a professional audience, and it's amazing the electricity, the kind of stuff that happens there. Well, the thing is, Robert, when you have awareness that's coming to an individual, and it's only one person that's getting that awareness – that that's something that I believe certain people that are sensitive can feel. Yes. But when you've got a whole group, and it's not just the group that is the lay audience, sometimes there's a moment of, as you would say, duh, <laughs> duh. for the doctors as well. Yes. And providers. You know, th- there's a there's an awareness coming together. It's almost it's almost like a becoming one. I know that sounds kind of uh, metaphysical and that's not what I mean to make it sound like, but there's an awareness that we are all one and the same. We are all looking for the same thing. In other words, a patient may be looking for a better solution to their problem or to the problem of one of their loved ones. And the doctor that's there or the provider that's there is also looking to be able to provide a better solution for their patients. And sometimes right. that doctor or that provider became involved with this whole thing because of a personal situation with their own health or with one of their own loved one's health. So now they st- that feeling comes back to them. Ah, it's not just a patient. It's not just a number. It's an awareness for them. It's an enlightenment uh, mm-hmm. point of you know, for them. Yes, and for, yes. For the well, and, and that is, it lights up everybody. That's the thing. Exactly. The, the, it's palpable. It, even the emotions are, are opened up, and there's, you know, some folks will cry every time, but it's a well, good, yeah, every, every time this happens. It's fact, a happy cry. The patient starts to experience, oh, this is what the provider is experiencing and feeling, which I never talk, t- t- you know, took into consideration. You know, the regulatory burdens that they have to deal with or or the agenda of being ridiculed by one of their peers, and, and they're just trying to help me. So mm-hmm. there is that awareness, that coming together, and that is very 
powerful and it's very palpable. Yeah, and when you see the docs go through it too, for anybody that's in, in the lay audience there, it's really profound because you recognize, as you said, they're human too, and they're they're after the same thing, healing, and they want to also provide that healing. Now, let me ask you about something I covered earlier in the show today. Uh, your professional medical opinion, put on your thinking cap here. This is a hard one because the government just figured out that smoking plus heavy drinking might not be good for your mental acuity. And I just, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, I think this should be put right there along with the other moments of profound, uh, you know, like uh, vaccines and yes. mercury, et cetera, et cetera. Smoking plus heavy drinking may accelerate mental decline. So, you know, I wonder, I don't mean to be facetious here, and only I'm only being partially facetious when I say right. this, but the people who did this study, I would wonder how much do they smoke and drink because obviously <laughs> – they have some acceleration of mental decline to have even, you know, brought this question up that somebody would actually test this. Right. Well, it is incredible. But but look, there's a lot of dust stuff going on out there that people aren't figuring out, including in the political realm. We just had the so Robert. The, hold on. Let's let's talk about this for a second. Sure. You know that smoking has increased in mercury, yeah. lead, cadmium. These are all substances that increase oxidative stress that cause lipid peroxidation. So clearly, anything to do with neuronal degradation would logically be assumed to occur if you smoke and drinking we know that when you drink alcohol it is essentially the alcohol gets converted to formaldehyde for people that don't know what formaldehyde is it's embalming fluid it's affecting your liver it's preventing the liver from functioning and the liver is the oil filter of the body so it's like taking your oil filter and blocking it or pouring syrup through mm-hmm. your oil filter and then expecting your oil filter to actually filter your oil after you've poured syrup or mud through it right so how much – I mean wh- why do we need to do a study to see that, yes, it can cause uh, – accelerate a mental decline? Of course it's going to accelerate uh, – not only mental decline, it's going to accelerate every kind of decline. It's going to de- accelerate physical decline, spiritual mm-hmm. decline, intellectual decline, everything. Well, at the risk of opening up a can of political worms here, we only have a few minutes left, but – uh, the 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 American population seemingly was transfixed on this Trevon um, and Zimmerman trial, uh, 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 an issue of whether it was self-defense or not, ignoring perhaps the most profound and important realities that we're losing our rights to life, liberty, and property on on so many levels here. And you, you actually, uh, we were talking off the air a little bit about this. I don't know if you want to revisit that because that's another realm of consciousness. I think we would be remiss if we didn't, Robert. So... This uh, segment that I'm going to read is from a lady by the name of Erica Nolan, who is the editor of an online journal called The Sovereign Society and Sovereign Digest, I believe it's called. Yes. And I'm just going to read it verbatim. When Edward Snowden stood up to tell the world that the U.S. government was granting itself unthinkable control over the American citizens as well as global society, he had one fear. It wasn't the fear of imprisonment or being thrown into his current life of exile. It was that at the end of the day, nothing would change. He would expose the truth, and after a little media frenzy, nothing would change, and his fears have come true. There hasn't been any angry mobs in the street or a group of fed-up, educated taxpayers demanding that Obama and the rest of Congress immediately discontinue phone tracking and Internet monitoring. No serious calls have been made for impeachment. There hasn't been a bill on intelligence reform rushed before Congress. There have been no hearings. Sadly, there is nothing much that has happened at all, except for a few pissed-off European allies. Everyone just seems to have shrugged. I saw online post the other day, President Obama spies on half the world and no one cares. But Paula Dean uses a racial slur 30 years ago and everyone loses their mind. 
This is a sad but accurate snapshot of the state of the U.S. opinion. Now, the reason I thought this was important, and it actually she goes on to say, it frustrates me to no end that the majority of us no longer care about civil liberties or personal freedom. More and more, I feel like I'm alone, especially when it comes to my beliefs that liberty, freedom, and the unfettered ability to create a successful life for myself and my family is no longer the American ideal. Now, you know, we've talked about this before. The reason I felt that we, it's important to mention is because, remember, last week and the week before, Robert, we talked about what do we do? Mm-hmm. If we feel this way, I mean, there's no plan of action. Everybody feels the same way. And, and people say, rise up and do something. In fact, we talked about Mike Adams and his uh, last point that either do something mm-hmm. or be, what was it, exterminated? I yeah, think he, well, I basically, it was pretty vicious, but I mean, an intense wake-up call. Right. So what can we do? And, and that's the, I don't want to scare anybody that we're talking about revolting or anything. Because, I mean, you know, that's not what you're talking about. We're talking about taking action. So what actions can we take? And my brother's organization, which I really... The Bill of Rights Defense Committee. And everybody's listened to Shahid Batar. We've had him on a couple of times. A great guy. Uh, You Batars are just just, uh, world game changers. We love you. Well, I'm, I don't know whether everybody would agree with that, but anyway, <laughs> I appreciate those words, Robert. But, you know, that's one organization, but there are mm-hmm. other things that we can do. And, Robert, I think that we should probably try to have some way for people on the political side yes. that want to come together. And I think you mentioned this event in Raleigh coming right, up. Right, the 10th Amendment group. Center's next event in October, the, the Nullify Now Conference. I'll, I'll be there as well, and we'll talk more about it. And of course, that's why you've invited me as well to the Advanced Medicine Seminars. I talk GI healing, but I also talk about health freedom and weave it all together because it's important because that's another important part of our existence, our bodies, the political body or body politic. How do we how do we clean it up? How do we detoxify it without ourselves becoming so toxic and polluted? And we're about out of time and we didn't even get to the serotonin question. So we'll have to cover that next week or maybe even at the advanced medicine seminar, Dr. Batar. Well, if we don't cover it uh, as an advanced medicine seminar, we'll definitely cover it next weekend. All right. Well, thank you all for being here. Remember, Medical Rewind is a great place where you can access the hundreds of hours of Advanced Medicine Mondays as well. And archives are available all over the world now with this message getting out. We appreciate you all being here. Uh, With that, uh, create a great week, and we'll see you in Charlotte. And lots more healing to go because the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.